This is a big day in my life. And it's a big day in the life of a team of people putting together a conference. Because we're welcoming the team of people who put on the last conference. And we're welcoming somebody who comes from the equivalent of head office, who is to be our greatest support of all. And we've got, we're going to have a very complicated, interesting day today. Crazy day. I haven't even shaved. It must be about three days since I've shaved. And I've dropped my daughter to her riding. She's gone all day. That's no problem. She's done. The next stop is go back home, pick up Laura Bruce and Binel Sajani. And the three of us go to the Silver Springs Hotel, join up with the others and then go to Cork Airport. That's enough for now. That's that's the next hour. The people from Sheffield are arriving in and we're gonna be there to meet them. And we're gonna be there in a in a bus. I was told last night it was gonna be a yellow bus. I was told last night it was gonna be a year 2009. So it was an 09 yellow bus with seating for about 30 people. I cannot imagine where in Cork you'd find a yellow bus 2009 with 30 seats. It doesn't make sense to me. But my main job now is to drive home safely. Throw some more clothes on. Stop thinking about my appearance. ready to join in what has been arranged for the day. Oh my God. If I was to tell you half of what's in my body, you'd be, you'd think you were in a pub. I don't really want to do much driving this morning. I fell asleep in a seat last night until four o'clock in the morning. I went upstairs, threw myself down on the bed, as we say in Ireland, until eight o'clock. And since then, have barely finished a sentence. It's demanding a significant effort of attention to fill in the spaces in between the syllables I just feel kind of as if I'm working on about 15% excuse me I'm wearing black Wellingtons that I have to take off and replace with shoes that I can use for going to the various places we're in today. Thank goodness I only have to drive to the hotel, which is only 
about five minutes from the house and I don't have to drive my car again until well midnight I guess okay it, at some stage today it's gonna pour rain heavy took a short piece of video, posted it on Instagram and Facebook, which makes the weather today look as if it was stupendous. But all around me are dark clouds, pregnant with water. many type A personalities in this uh, group I'm going to be in today that I'll be able to sit quietly in the corner and say nothing and just simply listen. My plan for the day is to record bits of what's going on, more or less at random, when it fits in with the practicalities of what's going on. So I'm going to end up with a whole load of snippets of, of the day, which will be good historical um, material. Um, Oh dear. And uh, maybe of interest to some people in about 40 years' time. So I'm getting into a yellow bus, 09C1681, in pristine condition, Rail Tours Ireland first class, hosted Rail Tours for the independent traveller, railtoursireland.com. Good morning, Eddie. Good morning. I'm Paul. How are you doing? Ollie. Ollie, hi, hi. Is that everybody? Yeah, that's, we... that's us. Are you there. okay, Tony? Oh, am I okay is a good question. Of course you're okay. The main, the only real question is, am I here? Are you here? I am here. Well, you're here, are you present? Right. Did you send that check? Yeah, no. Okay, so oh, yes, I did. Yes, I did. Right. I did send the text. He got, he got a text back. Did I? Yeah, the car texted you for me. Did I get it? Was oh no, no, Sharon, there's a, di a different text at Cork Airport. The sky is blue, the sun is blistering, the weather is unseasonably warm, and we're 35 minutes early, which means we got, thank goodness, time for coffee in Cork, Ireland's larder. I see a sign saying Wild Atlantic Way, swap the high rise for an early rise. Actually, Wild Atlantic Way, the most successful tourism attraction um, initiative, I think, that's ever taken place in Ireland, ever. 
the airport is. The flight is coming from Manchester. There are about 12 people led, well I call led by Anthony Day who was the conference director in Sheffield. Um, uh, yes, the person who's going to be missed most, I think, is Sue. Sue, uh, one of the people whose name is Sue, who other people in the team know be a lot better than me. Sue Eastman. I believe for some reason Sue Eastman isn't coming. But apart from that, almost the entire 14-person team is going to be in Cork, which is fairly astonishing. So... Beside me is Binnell, behind her is Pat, behind that is Laura, and behind that is Sharon. No, she's not Sharon, she's Sharon. Got the similar spelling, but anyway, you'll get to know these people during the day, because I'll drop their names in, because after all of this stuff is over, um, there'll be some evidence that it happened. Breakfast porridge with a selection of toppings, 3.95. We're actually in the Kinsale Cafe Bar. Sandwiches from 5.95, Daily Hot Special, 7.95. Flavin's porridge costs 3.95, Hot Breakfast Special, 6.95. Anyway, and there's a bar here too. They have liquor. My goodness me, what's that American whiskey? Um, Jim Bean, I think, that's there. Jameson's. I see, I see uh, scones in front of me. It's pronounced scones or scones. In Ireland, they're scones. In the UK, they're scones. Um, there's scones. So sorry, the scones cost two thirty, and the scones cost two thirty. Danish pastries two sixty, the croissants two forty. Oh, that's that is scandalous to charge two forty for a croissant. That is just unbelievable. The coffee is by Badger and Dodos. Okay, talk to you later. So do I know you very well? No, no, no. <laughs> you don't be well enough to ask me to come and stay with you for two or three days. That's why I was just... It's all her idea. I just do what she says. So if she says to me, we've got the entire Sheffield front on me, I think, oh God, this is going to break my marriage, but I'm still going to do it. No. Honestly, she's been so welcoming.
Sound of the English market. Have a seat. Thank you. Have a seat. Have you ordered your coffee? No, Did you? I just wanted to see. Was, can I get you anything? No, no, everything's ordered. Okay. I, I didn't order anything oh, for you. No, no, that's right. Okay. I got some cheese. 
Ah, very good, very good. We're going to squeeze uh, the five of us in here somewhere. No sweat. Would you like to sit in? You guys sit in. I'll go get these for order. No, I will. You tell me what you want. You have to go in there or squeeze in somewhere. Laura, you go in there then? I'm just going to go get a coffee though. What would you want me to order? No, no, I'll get it. I'll get it. Okay. Yeah. Do I have one? Yeah. I've already ordered. Yeah. Yeah. Have a seat. Have a seat. If you, if yeah, Laura can fit in here easily. Right, we're in the English market, and let me. I'm just going to go around the group in order. This is for history, right? This is all. I'm going to let people say hello and say their name because that will save me the problem of being embarrassed that I can't remember everybody's name. So let me first of all hand the phone to the lady on my right hand side. You can do a uh, icebreaker for a few minutes or a few seconds if you like, right? As you pass it around, whatever you like. There you go. Hi, I'm Gillian Caldercott. I'm from uh, Goul is where I live. I'm a member of York Borators Toastmasters. I'm one of the founding members there. And I'm really looking forward to having an interesting look around Cork and its environment. Have you ever been to Cork before? No, I've never been to Cork before. I'm really looking forward to this trip. Hello, my name is Kay Federico. I'm the president of York Borators, and I've never, ever been to Ireland first. This is my first time visiting Ireland, my first ever cup of coffee in Ireland, and I'm loving it. And people are making it so welcome. Oh, sorry. Hello, this is Michael J. Clark. I'm the Vice President of Education at uh, Yorkie Borators. I have been to Ireland before and love it, but never been to Cork. And I'll have to go now because I'm in the middle of eating my apple tart, which is going cold. Bye-bye. Fantastic. So we're waiting now just for Laura Bruce to join us. But anyway, anyway. We ran a conference in Sheffield in November and people from Cork are running the next one. So would you come over and check it out? Yeah, well, come for a debrief, which I think is about half an hour of the whole weekend. The rest of it. Apparently, we're at Jameson's Distillery this afternoon, so you can tell. Great place for a debrief, I think. Great place for a debrief. Well, the Jameson's. Yeah. The Jameson's is to loosen the tongue so that the debrief will be. Well, I've already said it. I can tell you what the debrief was. I can give you that. We're all called Toastmasters. Not, not red. We have the problem with England because everybody thinks she's a red coated. We're not. We're not. 
it's an international thing about public speaking and trying to develop people's confidence. My name is Laura. We run a, you know, we organise national conferences every audience. I'm Laura Bruce. I'm the District 71 Public Relations Manager. I'm delighted to be here in Cork to get an orientation ahead of the spring D71 conference. Where else would you recommend? Exactly. Over Toastmasters, you have to go. Yeah. It's true. Because you get the gift of the gab in, uh, in the Blarney Stone. Uh, Michael, that phrase was uh, family first, work. No, family or work first. Family or work first. Depending upon some and, people. And, and Toastmasters, Toastmasters last. last. So yeah. there's always going to be some point where Toastmasters has to take a back seat because life, whether it's work commitments or you've got issues at, uh, at home or wherever, come first. You know, like I had when my mother died. Yeah. I had a couple of months where I didn't go to meetings. Absolutely. I had, I had a period of um, uh, nine months and as a result of getting about a depression, mm. I, uh, I could do nothing. I, I dropped out of the committee and going to meetings. Well, we had a, we had a, a new member who came, came to our meeting on Wednesday. He's only been to the third meeting. He was doing timekeeper, but he emailed me, said, my father-in-law's in hospital having an operation. It's 50-50 whether he'll come through it properly. I might not be there, but I will try and be there. And I just said, don't worry. But actually, because his father, father in came through it successfully, he came to the meeting because he needed something to... Yes, yes, yes. You, you can never know, uh, you can never judge on somebody else's behalf. Excuse me, one second. Excuse me. Could I please have a lemon uh, one, please? Just one. Just one. Who else wants one? Okay, that's two, please. How much for two? There's a place in Paris where people feel around the block, around the block to collect them on Saturday morning. How well do you know Paris? Very well. Oh, right. Oh, well, I won't That's how you knew the number of bridges. Do you know what I'm talking about? Is that the little bar? No, the bookshop. The bookshop, yes, I've been in there, but I didn't. Oh, yeah. yeah. My uh, grandfather set up a bookshop. My family owned bookshops. My, uh, 
we have four bookshops uh, not in Cork. By the way, here, one minute, guys. I gotta show you something. Trite. Trite? This is packet, isn't it? Is it? Oh, Drasheen. Can you just tell them what it's made of? Is it different from black or white pudding? The the pudding. Was it? Trishy. 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 Do the castle, that's totally open to you. If you want to go and put the stone, we'll do the castle. So we can split into whatever group is better what people want to do. From there, we are going to walk across the road. Yeah, that didn't go so well earlier. We're going to walk across the road to the Blarney Woolen Mills, which is, what does it say on the front of it? The largest Irish shop in the world, apparently. Well, it's on, to be fair, it's on four floors and it's really, really big and there's lots of stuff there. So if you came to shop, you might just want to ignore castle and not have lunch either <laughs> but also inside in Garnet Castle and Gardens we there is a, a lunch place where we'll be going for lunch and it's you know one of those not self service but you go up to the counter and you ask for whatever you want Car thank you carving yeah that's posh talk we don't talk like that around here <laughs> so we're going to and we have to be back on the bus <coughs> let us say five past so what we're going to aim to do is get back into Blarney Woolamas at 2 o'clock to head for our lunch. If some of you want to have a short lunch and have a quick look around the shop, you're welcome to do that. But we want to be leaving quarter past three at the very latest so that we get to Middleton in time so we can get our tickets and get on our tour for quarter past four. Everybody okay with that? Yeah. So back to your tour guide for today, Paul O'Malley. Thank you. Now, I have a 10 to 15 minute speech about the Blarney Stone. <laughs> Hands up all those who want it. Great. How, how, hands up all those who want the, uh, the table topic add-on. <laughs> okay, we're going to see a block of carboniferous limestone built into the battlements of Blarney Castle in Blarney, about five miles from Cork, Ireland. Now, for the rest of you who want to hear the rest of that, you can turn to Wikipedia. <laughs> but according to legend, kissing the stone endows the kisser with the gift of the gab. 
Now, the gift of the gab is what you get when you're a member of Blarney Toastmasters. <laughs> I have to be careful because the conference is not being organized by Blarney Toastmasters. Even right? though there are four right? members There are team. some members of it here. <laughs> and uh, so, but in all seriousness, the, uh, the, there's a castle where we're going to, which is a uh, medieval, it's not particularly old castle. Um, on the, up high in the castle, is a stone embedded in the walls and it's one of the biggest tourist attractions in Ireland. Uh, certainly um, it may be after the cliffs of Moher in County Clare, it may be the second largest tourist attraction in Ireland outside Dublin. So it's big. In recent years it has developed a, um, a very fine garden. Now on the right hand side of you now is the River Lee. North the North Channel. This is actually, we're going to be going up through the oldest part of the city really near here. Well, very near the oldest. In front of you, you won't be able to see it because it's right in front of us, it is the, the well one, the longest street in Ireland, up there. Sharon will tell us the name of the street. Shannon Street. Shan is it Shannon or Blarney Street? No, Blarney Street is the longest street. But up there is Apple, 6,000 employees in Cork. About 2,000 of them in customer service, and the rest are, I think, in product development. Mm. Um, so it is a fairly important Apple place. Steve Jobs came to Apple, came to Cork in the exact year. Pat Duggan, do you know the year? I can't remember. Anyway, he came to Cork. He came, came to Cork. I don't know why Apple came to Cork, but but Steve Jobs came to Cork, and he may have come to Cork after, I'm sure he did after Apple came. Anyway, that's just, they're huge up there. And last year's president of uh, Blarney Club, Andrea Jan, who's German, works there. And she, uh, oh yeah, we'll get there, yeah. And yeah, and uh, anyway, she, she, like for example, there are loads of people who are, uh, speak uh, German, Spanish, French, probably, for all I know, Chinese, but they, they're a very, very mixed population up there working in Apple. Huge number, I'd say. There must be thousands who come from other countries. Well, it says welcome to Blarney Castle and Gardens. And it costs for adults to visit, including kissing the Blarney Stone, if you want to. It's 18 euros. Seniors it's only 14 and if you're a child it's 8 so there we are that's it that's the thing discover the magical stories and great history of Blarney Castle and Gardens with one of our guidebooks actually guys in case anybody wants to get one there is a audio guide uh, souvenir. Uh, there's a souvenir audio guide. It costs six, uh, six euros. euros there, and you can take it away and uh, play it as often as you like. And uh, it's actually f uh, made by a company who are a client of mine. In the interest of full disclosure, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there, um, 
<laughs> In-hand guides. I'm not the narrator. No, I'm not the narrator. There's a really very good narrator. He's still bitter about that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, it's handy. You can actually, you know, take it home and play it to people at home. You can change batteries and all that sort of thing. It's, it's a limit of 20 euros and one day one day there will be beacons all over um, tourist attractions so when you have on your audio device it will automatically wherever you're standing it will automatically come on and tell you you're looking at a certain thing you are now standing in front of the toilet. If you are a man, please, please. If you are, if you have defined, if you are of a defined gender and you wish to be known by that gender, and you have decided to go left or right. <laughs> no, I actually think in some someday we'll get to the point where all uh, all uh, washrooms, toilets will be unisex entry, and you'll go in the male or the female. But they'll all be well built. And I can say that for the mum, that will be frightening. Really? Well, yeah. But there'll be a third door. Do it like that. <laughs> <laughs> the, this particular entrance to Blarney Castle was uh, made in October 1985 and it was opened by Mr. Jack Lynch. Mr. Jack Lynch used to be the Taoiseach in Ireland and he also used to be he a star hurling player from Cork. Jack Lynch is perhaps one of the most famous hurlers from Cork. Hello. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. No, it's 30 euros from here. 30 How much in the UK? 50 pounds? Laura's saying 50, yeah. But apparently it's a, it's a, it's a merchant decided figure. It's not, there's no regulation or rule about it. so what did we just agree did we just agreed to do the gardens first castle first castle first oh yeah 
It's your turn to kiss the stone. Yeah, and uh, that, that means that uh, we will be better speakers oh, on yeah. our way out. Oh, that's all right then. So <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's transformational. Uh, yeah. Very well. Yeah. All right. It was good to see you all. And, and you know to see you. The Irish continues. Because um, until I met you, um, I always... And this is not because you're Irish. I meet with a lot of Irish. I've gone, I come to Ireland to do my children or make you puncture. And I always say with, with the Irish people, there's no manana, there's no tomorrow. You know, come as you please. I love that. <laughs> it, it's very, very uh, relaxing. Uh, and, and you just and give the atmosphere. I mean, you I mean, you've been to lots of places in your life. Yeah. Would you, you, you mean, is Ireland, is that actually a, a memorable characteristic of Ireland? Yeah, yeah, the, the, yeah, and, and also the, the friendliness of the people, both northern and southern, but I think the southern island, uh, Irish, I feel, I, I dealt with a lot of northern island, the Irish itself, and they are the same, I mean the Scottish are also the same, compared to the English, and as you, you say you live in London, and the further south you go, the England, the more snooty and, and conservative they are doing. I mean, do you feel the same? Well, I am, I, that is very much what um, British people would say about uh, the English. But I figured out how to deal with the English. And uh, it works, I know. Yeah. What you do is, you, uh, you make the first move, right? right? Yeah. Because if you, if you, the English are so, Slightly in the southeast, we'll yeah, talk that's about. Right, that's right. They're they're so obsessed with not um, with not interfering with your space. They want that you can sit beside them in a pub, yeah. and they will not start a conversation they with you, yeah, right? right yeah. And I think it's a, a mixture of in living in a very dense population. They they're very you know you sit beside each other in the yeah. tube, nobody yeah. talks or whatever. But what you do is yeah. even if you. Let's take a simple thing. You 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 move into the the um, uh, you move uh, no a new English family moves in next door to your house. Right, right. right. Most English people will leave them alone. Yes. Let them do whatever they want yeah. for the next fifteen years before they say hello. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. What you need to do is yeah. to as soon as they've moved in. Yeah. You knock on the door, yeah. carrying a bottle of wine or something, and you say, I've come to welcome you. Yeah. And uh, I'm just dying. Either you say, come into our house for a cup of tea now, yes. and you don't take no for an answer, right? right? right. Then they do. Oh, they will actually do. They, you can push through that barrier. Yes. And once you get to the other side, yeah. there's an instant contrast between the Irish and the English. You can, Irish people are terribly friendly. You meet yeah. them in the pub yeah. on night. Yeah. You become great, great friends, friends yeah. right? Just the following yeah. morning, they don't remember who you are. <laughs> my son in, in uh, London, one of my oh, two London. sons, oh, two sons there. But yeah, so yeah. I, I actually think that you, what you do is you completely um, don't take any offence at the reserve front. Oh, yes. And you just yeah. go straight in. Right. And I, I, when I figured that out, yeah, I would. found they're great people because yeah. if you become friends with an English person, yeah. I found you, there's, there's actually more substance to it. The Irish are very, very friendly, but also they're friendly because they enjoy being friendly. 
it doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to last tomorrow. But it, it's. It, Do you think who is more loyal in terms of loyalty when you become a friend? If I had to pick one yeah. and only one, yeah. I would say English. Right. Now I could. I mean, I lived there for a long time, yeah, yeah, so yeah. you know. And at one yeah. stage, I lived longer in the UK than I lived in Ireland. You know. Right. So, uh, right. so, uh, and no, yeah, the, no thing in, the, yeah. the thing in yeah, Sheffield. Yeah, I've been to Sheffield, yeah. and I suppose it's, it's the same as Irish. You can go to bus stop. The first thing of is. Oh, yeah. Oh, the weather. I think maybe the weather is the world's number one. Yeah. You know, whether it was a, just a we'll psychological... Yeah. I, I wouldn't want to leave it a chance, though. No. <laughs> here, I would encourage you to seize the opportunity. It's Carpey Blarney. No world champion at impromptu speaking has ever succeeded without kissing the blind soap. Who was the last world champion at impromptu speaking? Well, there's only a division seven world champion. It doesn't go to the wall. <laughs> so there has never been a world never champion been. who hasn't kissed the blind soap. Yes. Absolutely. Where's the story? Oh, I see. The stone is on the very top. We're inside the castle now. This castle wasn't so much a military fortress as, as the seat of a well-to-do family. And we're walking up steps, very steep, and there's a big rope on the right hand side which you need to hold on to tight and there's another the kitchen is on the left guys we're in the kitchen next to the banqueting hall if the cook burnt the cakes the whole castle was not at risk and if boiling water was needed to pour on unwelcome guests, it was handily placed for the battlements. So the kitchen was in a good place because you could boil the water and then you could pour it, or the oil, and you could pour it down on top of people who were trying to get in. There's a large window on the south side. It's a wonderful, glorious sun trap. It was probably originally a rather special bedchamber for the Lord and his lady with a pyramid-shaped roof. All of this changed in the 16th century when they discovered that they could build enormous fireplaces in the kitchen and roast. I imagine that they roasted um, uh, sheep. I imagine that they roasted, uh, uh, what do you call them, um, things that jump around like Bambi. Uh, um, deer? Deer, yeah, I'd say that they roasted loads of deer venison here I uh, and I don't think there were vegetarians in those days so Grace wouldn't have done very well in this house no 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 as a pescatarian none at all none at all I, I actually even I presume I mean there, there's fish very nearby and all that you know and I presume they brought fish I just wonder do they have a nice house 
<laughs> right. Why would you have Oh, you get ice in the winter, and that's the way they built ice houses. They cut blocks of ice and they build the ice houses. Fantastic things, ice houses. Yeah, yeah. yeah. In the, where I have my apartment that I have in the Alps, there there's a festival every year uh, where they used to bring ice down from the glaciers ah. and take it to Paris for the wow. oysters. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I bet you, I bet you there was a job, a skilled job somebody who was a nice person. Yes, yeah. Almost certainly that would have been a, uh, somebody who had the ability to cut blocks of ice quickly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This person going up and down. Um, no problem. Don't hurry. One quick picture. Don't hurry. Yeah. You know what happened to the last people who took a picture there? You're very Anybody else? This comes under slips, trips, and slips, trips, and fall. You know. Oh, we're up again. God, we're near the top now. Oh, we're there. There are no more steps, guys. No more steps. We're here. Okay. Oh my God, we are tall high. Imagine you're on the top story of a castle, the battlements. Imagine, as you look down, you see a courtyard way below you. And as you look out over the parapet, there are green fields, a little river. And you want to have a, a reasonable good head for heights. There's a, a railing on the left-hand side, a good stout railing about um, a metre high. On it is a sign saying, please take your rubbish with you. Bins at the base of the castle. According to George Burnett Shaw, no, according to G.K. Chesterton in his 1909 biography of George Burnett Shaw, the truth is that the Irish are so clear-headed and critical that they still regard rhetoric as a distinct art, as the ancients did. Thus a man makes a speech as a man plays a violin, not necessarily without feeling, but chiefly because he knows how to do it. Another instance of the same thing is that quality which is always called the Irish charm. Irish are agreeable, not because they are particularly emotional, but because they are very highly civilized. Blarney is a ritual, as much of a ritual is as kissing the Blarney stone. My goodness. People are bending backwards. You literally have to sit down. You have to bend backwards. You have to take off your glasses. I think you have to take coins out of your pocket. Um, I'm certainly taking my wallet out of my pocket. I'm certainly taking any credit cards I have and buttoning the button on the back part of my trousers.
and I'm taking off my jacket. I just don't want any difficulty. There is a man here wearing black clothes and a grey hat and he's holding on to you as you bend backwards and kiss the stone. Got to take photographs of this thing taking place in front of my eyes. One second, sorry. 109, 110, Basically a hundred steps with about ten uh, steps to get everywhere. So yeah, so and it's the shape of the steps that makes it more challenging. That's the thing. That um, and it's lovely to see how worn down some of the steps are. Were polished, worn down. Yeah. Right. Well, we've done it. As many people as wanted to kiss the Blarney Stone. Yes. And uh, we're now. Oh, that was a great relief and a thrill. There's a sign on the right-hand side that says Poison Garden. This is not a joke. And Irish Garden. Now, there's no reason to believe that there's any connection between the Poison Garden and the Irish Garden. But we could be wrong. So what was it like to kiss the Blarney Stone for the very first time in your life? It was amazing. After 60 years of not having been anywhere near the Blarney Stone, and it was quite scary because you have to lean so far back, but the strong arms of a young cook lad holding onto you made you feel quite safe and that you're really doing something for your future, in public speaking. Yeah, what difference is it going to make in your life? Well, in all accounts, it makes you win all the contests, so I'm sure it'll just be a wonderful effect that it has on me. But I'll, at least I'll have the photo as a memory and to be able to prove that it's another thing that I can knock off my bucket list. Well, you know when it comes to contests, today is my first time of kissing the Blarney Stone, so I'll see you in the final. <laughs> Well, I can tell you something now. Look, you, we had a, we, we had a good night last night. Quite a bit. Oh, I drank an awful lot. We had, uh, we had. Uh, Laura, I know, but this was a little uh, gathering. Pat Dobbin, Pat Dobbin. We don't have to pass it to the hospital. The women were, Laura and they were both of them staying in the weekend. And Cheryl. So that was the dinner last night. In fact, my wife decided to join us for a bit of this meal. It has a one place to see. I'm going in the front room with our daughter and uh, watching TV. 
but we got hooked into it. Anyway, we had a uh, great time. It might just be the way it's been pruned. Yeah. What a pretty tree. Yeah. 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 I've never seen anything. Oh, well. So we've got Dougwood. Laura, you're the, uh, you're the gardener, right? My brother, my brother's the photographer. Well, take the photograph. I'll take the photograph. On the, uh, on the RHS um, ah. app, oh, and cool. it will yeah. identify it wow. from the photograph, yes. I think. Oh, is this, oh, is this a rhododendron down here? Yeah. 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 Come on, folks, get well, one of the things, You don't want to be the one who's in the last the last hours. There's a whole that nobody has. Like that. Tell me now, you have this You guys didn't do it, right? What Bancroft did. One of the questions I'd love to know the answer is what percentage of the As much as possible, in this day and age, as much as possible of it should be live streamed. So that up on the, um, like for example, there is a huge uh, jazz festival in Cork. Ring Road, we're going to be passing the conference hotel as we head towards Middleton. And I'll hand you back then to your, or back now, to your tour guide, because I have no idea what he's going to say. Well, after lunch, it's usual to go to sleep. <laughs> and all those who had a pint will be leading the way. Yeah, it's not a bad okay. idea. Okay, I, I will respond to questions and curiosities, but otherwise I'll talk to you as we get closer to Middleton. Okay? Okay. Actually, the only thing that we really need to point out is when we're passing so big. Yes. Actually, there is a there is a normal bus service out of Cork to Blarney, isn't there? Isn't there is there? A, yeah. yeah. And it's city rates as well. City? City rates. It's not county rates anymore because they've, they've applied the city rate to Blarney. So yeah, anybody can hop on the bus and come to Blarney. And it stops right outside the Willamette. Forgive the interruption, just uh, one important piece of information which you might be asked by people coming to the conference. How can they get out to Blarney to kiss the Blarney Stone? There is a bus, a bus that goes from the center of Cork City right out, stops right outside the castle entrance, and that bus goes pretty frequently every half hour in May. So it should be very easy to encourage people to kiss the Blarney Stone.
I think everyone's a bit tired now. People have got up early to fly to Cork. Some of us were up pretty late last night. Those of us, those of you that I was talking to about holiday homes in our partner hotel, it's down to the left, one kilometre from where we are right now. We're not going down that road, but that is how close our partner hotel is to the conference centre. And like I said, come talk to me later on this evening about the holiday homes if you're thinking about bringing a bigger crew. We're now coming on to the motorway that's going to take us to Middleton, and there is a what's what's the word I'm looking for, an off-ramp, uh, which takes you directly to the motorway to Dublin. So that is how accessible the hotel is to the rest of the country. Our next stop is the Jameson Distillery in Middleton. Middleton, a town of about, I think about 10,000 people. Um, the distillery has a visitor center. It was built down in Middleton sometime, I would say, as a visitor center. Or they shifted a whole lot of stuff into Middleton. I'm not sure when they first moved into Middleton, but the visitor centre, the tour, the whiskey tour, and all that. A fairly, fairly recent um, addition down here. It's been great fun. I personally have loved kissing the Blarney Stone. That, to me, could well end up being the highlight of the weekend. <laughs> You really do have to lean way, way back. So it isn't just, oh, here's a piece of stone, kiss it. You have to lie on your back and stretch. Hold on to iron bars on both the left and right side. Well worth doing, well worth doing. I think it's now time for some music. But there is a visitor centre and there's a shop and the whole lot. So I'm thinking that the easiest thing for us to do is to go to the ticket desk, pick up our tickets. And what they do then is they call the tickets at the time for the tour. So if we get that piece out of the way first, then you can have a wander through the shop, have a look at stuff, and then we're all ready to rock and roll when they call us at quarter past four. Is everybody okay with that? Yes. Individually, well, it's 16 euro on it, so it might actually be easier to pay individually rather than just trying to make change. Yeah. On our way into Jameson, Irish whiskey, W H I S K E Y. Thank you. Just as the weather turns, damp, very damp. The next tour, Tour F, leaves in 23 minutes. 
and Tour F in 23 minutes is sold out. Tour G in 38 minutes is now selling. Has anybody here kissed the Blarney Stone who I haven't spoken to yet about it? Only in the bus. I want oh, no, not the bus. No, no. Oh, right. You put, you put, no, today, I was sorry, I was. Our group, some of us, kissed the Blarney Stone today. God, I'm standing in here. In front of me is a clock saying five to four in the afternoon. This place here was opened by the Taoiseach, the Prime Minister of Ireland, Mr. Albert Reynolds, in 1992, called the Jameson Heritage Centre. Jameson are, you know, perhaps even the largest makers of Irish whisky in the world. It was uh, established in 1780. In front of me are photographs of people making barrels, uh, coopers, in other words. One of the people in our group here, Sharon O'Neill, her son, is the first person to qualify as a cooper in Ireland in the last 47 years. In front of me are glasses for tasting whiskey. I'm looking at Green Spot whiskey, Yellow Spot distiller safe, Middleton, Middleton very rare, Vintage Reserve, Jameson Round, Jameson Signature, Black Barrel, Irish whiskey cask mates. Redbreast, which is my favourite whisky, uh, 21 years old, 15 years old, 12 years old. There's even one called Method and Madness. So when I was young, there was only, you know, Jameson's, Black Bush hardly any other whiskies, because there used to be a huge number of whiskies uh, produced in Ireland, then the whisky business, the whisky trade went into complete collapse. Uh, I don't know how many distillers there were of whisky in 1900, but it crashed and has come back, whisky has come back with a bang in the last few years. Here you can make your, own bar make your own bottle. You start with an empty bottle, fill it with whiskey, put your name on it, sign the ledger, share it with friends, enjoy. You can literally come home from here with a bottle of whiskey that says, you know, Paul Omani or Kingfish or Belinda or Renati's whiskey or... Anyway... You could even have a whiskey that's called Anchor or Georgie D's Tipple. The whiskey tour begins now with a video. The room has gone dark.
They say never judge a book by its cover. But when it comes to Jemison's history, our label is a good starting point. John Jemison established his Bow Street Distillery in Dublin in 1780. It's all there. Well, almost all of it. There's one thing you should know, though, before we carry on. Ireland's favourite whiskey was founded by Scott. That he would move his life across the Irish Sea. But if you take a closer look at our label, you might see why he fancy his chances. At the bottom of the crest, you'll see the motto, Cine Metu. For those of you whose Latin could use a little bit of work, that means without fear. And it was awarded to John Jemison's forefathers for their bravery in fighting pirates off the Scotch coast. Now, whiskey making is a lot less dangerous than battling on the high seas. But Jemison wanted to produce Ireland's highest quality whiskey, and he wasn't afraid of the challenge. When he set up shop in Smithfield at the turn of the 18th century, the capital was booming, and he wasn't the only one trying to stay the claim. In order to stand out, he knew he needed the highest quality ingredients money could buy. Now, it's been more than 200 years since John Phillips first order, and we care more than ever about the quality of our barley and water. After all, your whiskey is only as good as what goes into the pot still. Over the years, John Jemison had built a reputation for quality whiskey. But eventually, he had to hand over the reins. In 1805, his son, John Jemison II, took over. Obviously, nepotism wasn't a dirty word on Bow Street. The first four bosses all shared the name John Jemison. But times were good. John Jemison and son were one of the largest distilleries in Ireland, and a massive new pot still signaled our growing ambition. However, amidst all the good news, 1823 marked the year when we had to say goodbye to our founder at the age of 83. But he was an ambitious man, and he was surely aware that he left behind the foundation of a great whiskey. But even he might have been surprised by just how widely known his name would become. With distillery smokestacks dominating the Dublin skyline, Irish whiskey had become the drink of choice for a British gentleman looking for a smooth spirit, and the Jemison name began to grow outside of Ireland. A temperance movement in the 1830s saw more than half of Irish people swear off alcohol, which certainly put a dent in local sales, but exports were our lifeline. And we weren't just sending whiskey across the Irish Sea either. Australia, Canada, South Africa, and India were all receiving shipments. Demand was high, and by 1887, Bow Street was producing a million gallons of spirit and was considered a city within a city. This bustling operation spread out over five acres, and we had upwards of 300 workers in our books. The work wasn't easy, but we had a reputation as a good employer. The daily grog and whiskey that everyone received after their shift may have had something to do with that. Now, if our story to this point seems like smooth sailing, our look took a turn for the worse in the start of the 1900s. It began with the outbreak of World War I, followed closely by Ireland's revolution against British rule. Barley was reserved for the war effort, while a prolonged trade war with Britain took away our access to the markets of the empire. To add salt to the wounds, prohibition was enforced in America from 1919 to 1933, closing off one of our most promising markets almost overnight. Are you familiar with the idea of Murphy's Law? It's a theory that anything that can go wrong, will go wrong. And it did. Six years after the end of prohibition, World War II broke out. That meant while America was open for business, a transatlantic shipping ban meant that our ships could get more near it. By the 1960s, the Irish whiskey industry hit rock bottom. If there was a time to put Sydney Mexico into practice, this was it. Change was the order of the day, first up was bottom. And we all 
always sold our whiskey by the barrel, but we decided it was time to start bottling our own class. Aside from giving us full quality control, having a green bottling on the bar was a long way to reestablishing the Jensen name. Things were looking up, and one great decision followed another as we moved our distillery to Middleton County Court. We had grown the busy Dublin streets, and the move to Middleton put us right next to the Dungordy River, and meant that our barley farmers were just up the road. Country life has been good to us, and it's meant that we can share Jensen in every corner of the world. And while our pot stills may no longer call Bow Street home, our whiskey will never lose its silver assets. Though a lot has changed since 1780, but we still stand by our principles of triple distillation, the highest quality ingredients, and aging our whiskey in the finest of barrels. And we rely on... So we have five main first ingredient we talk about here in the courtyard is barley, unmalted barley. So um, the south of Ireland, perfect growing conditions for barley. So we source all our <laughs> barley locally and we still to this day have about 150 producers all within about 100 miles of Middleton. So it's all locally sourced, Munster and Leinster farmers and it was the same back in 1825. So back in 1825 the work the farmers would have <laughs> <laughs> okay, the farmers would have arrived here uh, on horse and cart with sacks of barley. Uh, hello? Uh, guys, you go back to the bar. That way, this way. To the bar, yes. We've got some lost individuals. So, yes, the bar door is over there. That very rarely happens on tour. Yeah, okay, good. So, where were we? Uh, locally, bar locally sourced barley. Uh, 150 producers, all within 100 miles, and it was the same back in 1825. They would arrive here with sacks of barley on horse and cart, and arrive here wait to get it weighed. Uh, a worker would weigh the barley, come out with a voucher and a glass of whiskey for the farmer. Now, the farmers all arrived at the same time as well. Uh, barley is sown in springtime, it grows all summer, and then it's harvested in late August. So all within a space of about a week, about a week, all the all the annual supply of barley is arriving all at once. So incredibly busy parts of the still in this courtyard. They'd be waiting around here, drinking their glass of whiskey, they'd have their voucher, they'd go back to the office and slip the voucher in under the window, and a clerk inside would hand out the cash for the farmers. We'd hopefully see them the exact same time the following year in late August. Now because it was once a year that a whole annual supply of barley arrived, we needed lots of storage space. So you're going to see lots of large buildings around here, especially the ones with had, that had a large number of windows. They would have been grain stores and also malting houses. So we produce, one of the characteristics of Irish whiskey is that we produce whiskey with unmalted barley as well as malted barley. So we're going to convert some of that grain which has just arrived now into malt and we'll go over to the malting house over here. Um, can I ask you one thing, just uh, I don't know the difference between malted and unmalted barley, but you get a chance uh, to say what that is. Yeah, so the unmalted barley is the that's just arrived, and we'll talk about the malt. Alright, okay, thanks. Very. <laughs> now, 
Guys, as you can see, the doorway is pretty tight, so if you can kind of just do that room, so thank you for the space there. Thank you. So, the barley grain, which has just been delivered, is full of starch. It's a hard grain full of starch, and we need to convert some of it into malt at this point here now, okay? So we're going to turn it into a softer biscuit-like malt. And the first uh, thing we do is steep it or soak it in water over the space of two days. The workers then, after two days of soaking the barley, would lay out the barley on malting floors, such as the one above us. Now uh, you can see the tiles, you're looking at the, that side, but on the opposite side where the barley was laid out, you see smaller holes so the barley doesn't fall through. The workers would have laid out the barley about three or four inches deep, the whole way across the floor. And it's here where they're tricking the barley into germinating. So it starts to regrow, it starts to germinate. And they let the germination process take, uh, they let the germination um, take place for about four days. And then they would stop the germination process by lighting fires and heating the grain up. So they would light fires either side of me, we have kiln ovens, they would fill the kilns with anthracite coal, which is a smokeless fuel, light the fires, close the doors, the heat then passed up through the grain, stopping the germination process, and then over the space of a few hours, you're basically gently toasting that grain then, the workers would be raking the barley upstairs, making sure it didn't overheat on one side, after a few hours... alongside the stills, the whiskey. Single pot, still whiskey distillation. Sandy was actually at the top of the stairs when it happened and it sent him back down the stairs he just walked up. And his manager ran to him and the description of the accident said that Sandy's eyebrows had been singed off, his clothes had been blown off, and all he left on him was the collar of his shirt and his tie, and his boots were hanging off and up. Now Sandy got up, he was okay, and his manager, the wonderful guy, said, take the rest of the day off. <laughs> but, but he did say, make sure you come to work the next morning at work. And he did. He came to work the next morning and worked for the company for another 20 years after that, so he did pay them back. Um, the pot stills then were replaced, and of course, Sandy, who worked for the company for 20 years, uh, made us just tough stuff, because Sandy Ross is still alive. He's 94 years old, and he lives over in Wales. Uh, he comes here every so often to talk about 
his little mishap over there. Uh, he brings his family in, they have a little day for him. Anyway, Sandy Ross is the reason why they're two replacement bastards. But this, but this one in here is the original from 1825. Uh, this produced whiskey for 150 years, right up to 1975. And it's the original, and it's the largest copper pot still in the world. It's got a capacity of 32,000 gallons. That's about 144,000 litres. That's a lot of spirit. Now, if the reason why it's copper, and the reason why we use copper pot stills, is because it's easy to shape. Copper is easy to shape, it's good at conducting heat, and it's very good at removing impurities in the wash that we brewed. And it also contributes to the flavour of the distillate. Now, we're going to talk about a whisky that was the top-selling whisky in the world for a lot of the 19th century and early 20th century, and it's called Potsdam Whiskey, Irish Potsdam Whiskey. Now, it was originally called pure Potsdam Whiskey, and when we produced it here in Middleton and up in Jameson and in Powers, they were producing vast amounts of Potsdam Whiskey because Ireland was part of the Commonwealth at the time, British Commonwealth, and they distributed Irish Potsdam Whiskey to all four corners of the Commonwealth, making it the top-selling whiskey in the world because people loved it. What is it? Potsdam whiskey is a combination of unmalted and malted barley distilled in three copper potstills. We call it single potstill whiskey now because it's an industry term. Single means it's been created in one distillery as opposed to a blend from loads of different distilleries. So single is a, you know, single malt is all malted barley, single potstill is unmalted and malted barley. Okay, it's unique to Ireland, it's a real characteristic of Irish whiskey. Now, how do you distill something? The definition of distillation is the separation of liquids based on their boiling points. So we're going to separate the alcohol here. So we're going to pump the alcohol into the pot still, before we let the fires, of course. And then we heat it up. So we're going to separate the alcohol because alcohol boils before water. Water boils at 100, alcohol boils at 78 degrees. So we're going to start vaporizing the alcohol. The, the alcohol vapors start traveling up the pot still. Eventually they make their way around the swan neck and down the liner. So the vapors travel out to a series of pipes outside with cold water surrounding the pipes. So when the hot alcohol vapors hit those cold pipes, they immediately turn back into liquid. And that's our first distillation, okay? What happens is it refines the spirit purifies it and it makes it stronger. Minimum in a wooden cap. Now wooden is different to American or Scottish law, which states oak caps. It has to be oak in, in, in Scotland or America. But here we're sampling with different wood types now. Uh, the Method of Madness brand that we brought out last year, they've sampled French chestnut wood in, uh, to age our pot still whiskey in. So we've got really interesting new woods being used, but mainly it's white oak. And the white oak is sourced from two locations, the Ozark Mountains in Missouri in the USA and the Iberian Peninsula, Spain and Portugal. Two very, very different types of white oak that contribute much different flavours to one another. Now, uh, traditionally in Ireland, um, there were thousands of coopers uh, working in Ireland. There were thousands of coopers building barrels on site. Um, not just for whiskey maturation, of course, but for food transportation as well, things like that. But hundreds of coopers working in each distillery, making barrels by hand. And uh, 
Jerry Buckley here behind me is our head cooper, he's our master cooper. And the numbers went from thousands in the late 19th century right down. We have three coopers in Middleton. Jerry Buckley is the head cooper, Killian O'Mani and Daniel O'Regan as well are our coopers. Our team of coopers maintain and repair our barrels and they do a really good job of being brand ambassadors as well, doing all sorts of um, displays and making barrels for people. But basically, we get our wood from those two locations and other people have to make our barrels now. We have to import the vast majority of the barrels. Hopefully that will change at some point in the future, but anyway. Um, once the trees are felled, they're cut into logs this size, and then they're cut into staves, like you see stacked up in this formation. They're cut into staves, and they're stacked up in that formation, drying out in warehouses. And in Spain, it takes about 15 months for those staves to fully dry out before they're used to build the barrels. As I said, our guys here, they're not making a million barrels. They have to maintain and repair them. So that means we import our barrels. And we import the vast majority from America, but we also import a lot from Spain. And this is our first barrel that I'm going to talk about here, guys. So if you want to get a little bit of view. So this is a Spanish barrel. Um, it's a 500 liter capacity uh, barrel. And in the cooperages in Jerez, where they make these down in the southern tip of Spain, they lightly toast the inside. And on site, they have a bodega as well. So they actually fill these first with sherry. And the sherry will mature in these for two years and season that cask before they're then emptied and sent to us. We get the empty barrels, we fill these mainly with our pot still spirit. This European white oak, Corcus Rober, has lovely chemical compounds that release these beautiful, fruity, spicy flavors into our whiskey. So they're great barrels for our pot still spirit, because that's also spicy and fruity as well, so it marries well. After a period of maturation, you're getting flavors like uh, dark uh, fruits like raisin, you know, sultana, um, fig, but also cinnamon and nutmeg spice as well develops naturally. And you identify that when you taste the whiskey, you identify those flavors. The first most uh, imported barrel that we have by far is over here now. The American barrel, by far the top imported barrel, we, we get a lot of these barrels. And the reason why we get a lot of them, and the Scottish whiskey industry get a lot of these American barrels, is because the law in Scotland states that you can only use a barrel once to mature whiskey. And that's a law that they created after World War II to create thousands of jobs. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it's the same now. So we get a lot of these American barrels. Uh, they're quite a uh, reasonable price as well. Now, in Kentucky, when they, where they build these barrels, mainly machine-operated, um, they heavily char the inside of the barrel. What that does is, because this American oak is a bit tougher than European oak, that's a bit softer, this is quite tough, so they, they char the barrels and increases the surface area and it opens up the cracks in the wood so that that spirit can penetrate the wood a bit more. Um, they send these then, after they've built them, to a, a bourbon company. So these are from Kentucky. And the home of bourbon, uh, they fill them with bourbon. And now we're going for the tasting.
Yes, we're going into warehouse number eight, and uh, four women are going to do comparative tasting of uh, whiskies, and four men. And uh, I think two, two Toastmasters are going to do it. So, Tastemasters. Tastemasters. Yeah. Biddle, are you doing it? I am. That's fabulous. That's perfect for the cold. Perfect. Okay, we've got to take our stations, yeah? So we've eight spots, it's fairly cramped, so get in there and get to know each other. Uh, move down the slide up there, that's one, two, three, four, five. All right, we've been very patient with being out, guys. Thank you for coming on tour with me, first of all. Delighted to have you on board. It's been a great uh, evening. Um, we're going to do our final thing though, and that's the comparative whiskey tasting. What we have in front of you guys are three of the top selling whiskies in their category. So the top selling Irish whiskey is our Jameson Original, that's in the center of the mat. The top selling Scotch whiskey is on the left, that's a 12 year old blended malt, Johnny Walker Black Label. On the right hand side is the top selling American whiskey, which is from Tennessee. That Daniel's number seven. Okay, so we have three top-selling whiskies. We're comparing the flavor profiles of each. They're all made very differently. You also have a glass of water to taste in between the whiskies. Naturally enough, being in Middleton, we're going to go to the Jameson first. So take the Jameson from the center to your nose. And what you smell is contribution from two different cast sites. The American barrel is going to give that sweetness, vanilla, honey, caramel. And, this, and the European barrels will give nutty aroma and fruity aroma as well. So, if you can get those. Now, of course, when we taste our whiskies over here, guys, for anyone not from Ireland, we say slauncha. So, cheers. Now, it's triple distilled, meaning it's a very smooth tasting whiskey. And the use of unmalted barley as well creates a kind of creamier mouthfeel compared to a lot of different styles of whiskies. And for, for a five to six year whiskey, it's, it's quite complex for such a young whiskey. I hope you all loved it. Now, where we're going next is to Scotland. On the left hand side, that scotch is all malt, all malted barley, and it's 12 years. So during the malting process, you remember the process. They use peat to smoke through the barley. So on the nose, you're going to get that smokiness straight away. The scotch on the left. The scotch on the left has a lot of smokiness from the peat, but also a bit of toffee there. And when you taste it, it's double distilled. And even though it's the same percentage as Jameson at 40% ABV, it tastes a bit hotter due to the double distillation as well. It's a bit spicier. And of course, very smoky as well. Now, the final one we're going to is the American on the right. And what they're using is a lot of corn and rye in this mash bill. So you're going to get a lot, they're sweeter cereals, more sugar content in corn and rye compared to barley. So 
naturally enough, it's going to be a lot sweeter on the nose. So if you take that to your nose, you're going to get those sweet perfume notes, maybe even some banana from the virgin oak casks. Does anyone get banana? Yeah, definitely, definitely. Oh, definitely. definitely. Now, when you taste it, it's single distilled, meaning it's again not as creamy, or sorry, because it's not, there's no unmalted barley, it's not as creamy, single distilled, uh, it's very sweet. Um, it's quite smooth, but it's not as smooth as the Jameson. Different spirit. So guys, now that you've all tasted the whiskey, I need to congratulate you all because you've all qualified and you've become uh, official Irish whiskey taster. So well done. When you, when you go back to the bar, there are iPads on the wall that you put your email address in. We send you a certificate by, signed by Brian Nation, our head distiller. So congrats. Oh, wait. Well, Ollie, good one. They've met me before, they wouldn't give me any Yeah, your son was too happy. It's like, you put the instruction on it, make sure she only gets one ticket. That photograph behind the counter is not really because you're in the hammock. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, it's their own version of puzzle. Yes, yes. Yeah. All right, guys. Is everybody settling and belted up? Are we good? Okay. Do you want to? Do you want to hear a story? Yeah. <laughs> do you remember when Robert was saying that years ago there used to be thousands of coopers in Ireland? Yes. Well, in the late 1800s, there were actually 11,000 coopers in Ireland alone, and today. On this planet of almost 8 billion people, there are 1,500 Coopers. So you can understand why I am intensely proud of my young man. Part of his, when he was first invited to go for an interview, he was doing a completely different course in college altogether. And he, they had four interviews and it was their fifth year interviewing for an apprentice cooper in Jemison and they had gone through a thousand people in each of the previous four years and not found the guy and he had four interviews so when the second interview was over they finally told him what they were interviewing him for <laughs> and he came home and they said to him don't tell anybody you're not allowed to tell anybody so he came straight home and he told me <laughs> what he was interviewing for and I said to him what do you know about Jemison and he said nothing mum and I said, okay, tomorrow we're doing the tour. So I took a half day off work and he and I and my mother went and did that tour that we have just done. And he went into the interview a week later and obviously did quite well because they chose him. During his, when we found out what he was being interviewed for, my mother then said, but sure, my grandfather was the blacksmith in Middleton in the late 1800s and of course he was able to drop that casually into conversation <laughs> during his interview and one of the things about Jemison in particular as an employer is they're really into family as you can see with the J John Jemison the first the second the third the fourth yada 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 so when they heard that I think it really kind of impressed them and it's part of Killian's history that they're really proud of Oh yeah, so, do you remember when we were standing outside the mill wheel? Yes. 
and he pointed out the distiller's cottage with the 18 children. Exactly. That's now the archives of Middleton Distillery. And when the archivist, Susan, I think her name is, found out what Killian's heritage was within Middleton Distillery, she went back through the archives and she actually found his great great grandfather's payslips from the late 1890s and showed them to Killian. And he was very enchanted by that, obviously, as well. There's one more part of the story now that I'm trying to remember. <laughs> oh yeah, so when they said, congratulations, you're our new apprentice, we're exhausted after five years of looking for someone, you'll do. They said to him, so you have a four-year apprenticeship, and by the way, your mother will sign indenture papers that say you'll be released when you're 65. <laughs> and for the first four years of your apprenticeship, you're going to spend two years at home and you're going to spend two years travelling. And they led him to believe that the first two years were going to be at home. So he joined Jemison uh, in the middle of June, and they said to him, oh yeah, by the way, you're going to Scotland on the 1st of July. He spent 12 months in Scotland, in a tiny little village called Tillicultry, which is in Alloa, exactly, not far from Stirling. And he did his apprenticeship in the Canvas Cooperage, which is a brand new, almost completely mechanised cooperage, state-of-the-art stuff in Canvas, just outside Stirling. But while he was in Tillicultry, he'd been chatting with Susan, the archivist, and as Robert said today, John Jemison was originally a Scot, and one of the things that they were trying to find out was where the original John Jemison was buried, because they discovered that he'd been buried in Scotland. So on his days off from Canvas, and by the way, his girlfriend had moved to Scotland with him as well, to archivists and the county council and all of those people, trying to get access to the various graveyards. And when he was in Scotland, he found John Jemison's grave in a disused cemetery, which hadn't been opened for decades. And he went in, he's kind of a, a, a chatty young fella, I don't know where he gets up. <laughs> and he went in, and he actually took a half day from work one day, and he went in and he talked to the guy who was in charge of cemeteries around Alloa, and it turns out it was Alloa Cemetery, so he was like only a couple of miles from it. And he went in and he chatted to your man, and your man met him that afternoon, and literally handed the keys of the cemetery to him and said, bring them back when you're done. And my child spent days going through the cemetery, checking every single grave, until he found John Jemison's grave. So obviously Jemison were out their minds with delight with that. So he's, Killian, Killian's very proud to, to do what he does, and he's hugely, hugely invested in what he does. And then randomly, in Blarney Toastmasters, one of our senior Toastmasters, Victor, he's originally from West Cork direction. And he gave one of those, you know, bringing history to life speeches. And he talked about his great aunt, who was in service to the Jemison family. And she was in service in Dublin. But one of the things that the Jemison family used to do is they used to come on holidays during the summer down to a place called St. Anne's Hydro, which was a spa just two miles away from Blarney Castle. So not only are we connected to John Jemison through 
various other means, there's also a Blarney connection to the Jemison family. So that's the story. That's very good. <laughs> I, think, I think she did very well. Now, are you doing all right in the back? Did I, did I, do you know what St. Patrick said to the snakes when he was driving them out of Ireland? Get out of here! No. Are you all right in the back, lads? Did the euro drop, love? <laughs> well, now we'll have a little sing-song. And I'll start the song off. And since we've been on whiskey, we'll go a very simple song. For oh, you'll take the high road and I'll take and we'll be in Middleton before you Where me and my true love will never On the bonny, bonny banks of Loch Lomond Take it away! Okay, we'll see you in the hotel, okay? actual job which is not being a bus driver so Ollie has taken time out of his life and also time out of his working day today to literally wait on us and chauffeur us around so I would just I would personally like to thank Ollie for that and I'd also on behalf of Safe Haven like to thank him for that because it has really made a huge difference to us today to be able to welcome you in such a proper fashion and I just really want to acknowledge Ollie's support and Ollie being there for us. Yeah, we love you, Ollie. Thank you, darling. Thank you. Ollie, this is a small Yeah, the foamy thing is missing. Where's it gone? I don't know, it wasn't on it when you handed it to me. Oh, it wasn't, that means... Oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> 